When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, today we're debating whether or not Muhammad was a prophet, and we are starting right now with Reform Salafi's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Reform Salafi. The floor is all yours. All right, thank you for the platform. I'm just going to start because I don't have that much time, I think, to cover it all, but hopefully I will. One second. Okay, let me get this out of my screen. An evidential case for Islam. Okay. So one second. Yeah, starting off, there's two types of arguments people give. And the first is C inductive arguments and the second are P inductive arguments. You don't have to let the um, little symbols imita- uh, intimidate you. A C inductive argument is just when the probability of a hypothesis given some piece of evidence E in our background knowledge K is higher than the probability of the hypothesis just given our background knowledge. And then a p-inductive argument says that the probability of the hypothesis, given the evidence in the background knowledge, is above 0.5 or above uh, the half. So it's more probable than not, right? And so Bayes' theorem and some additional info, the theorem won't be important. I'm just putting it there just so you can know. But for the symbols, uh, PR will stand for the probability of, H will stand for our hypothesis, which in the discussion will be Islam. So I'm just going to change it for I. And then E is going to stand for just some data set or some piece of evidence, some consideration, some datum, however you want to say it, just some observation, which will support the hypothesis. And then K is going to be the total background knowledge. So everything else, you know, just any kind of tautological evidence and whatever else, you know. And so the probability of E, the observation, probability of witnessing that observation, given your hypothesis in K is going to be called the likelihood, and the probability of the hypothesis given the background knowledge is going to be called prior probability, and the probability of the evidence uh, given just the background knowledge is going to be called the marginal likelihood. But what's important is the posterior probability. That's what we'll be talking about, which is the probability of the hypothesis given some evidence and our background knowledge. Okay, so when considering the evidence, we want to consider it holistically. So we'll have like evidence one, two, three, four pieces of evidence, right? And so the probability of a hypothesis given some evidence one and K is just, it's, is, is its probability given that single piece of evidence, right? But then when we make the next argument, we're going to include E1 into, uh, into our background knowledge. So we know now that K includes E1. So when we make the argument from E2, it, part of the background is that E1 is included, right? So we just start feeding all of the uh, piece of evidence into our background knowledge. So we end up when we come to our final argument, let's say like E5, E6, the background knowledge already includes all those other pieces of data, okay? And then finally, after uh, feeding all of those, you'd get the conjunction of all the E's, just E, which is E1, E2, E3, and so on. And so I'd want to say the probability of of the hypothesis, given the conjunction of all those arguments and given our background knowledge, is going to be higher than the probability of just the hypothesis in the background knowledge. So it's a good C inductive argument. 
And also the probability of the hypothesis is going to be higher given the evidence and background knowledge than 0.5. So it's more probable than not. So the hypothesis, which I'll be defending, obviously the uh, divine revelation hypothesis, that's going to be more probable than not. Okay, so an example of the rule applied is with like a murder, like Jones murdered Smith, right? That's your hypothesis. And you get new evidence. Jones's fingerprints were on the weapon and your background knowledge would include some proposition about how fingerprints work and about how everybody has a unique set of fingerprints. So that E given your K would raise the probability of the hypothesis by a lot, right? You can't really give it an exact numerical value. You couldn't say it's like uh, 0 0.6, 0 0.7, you couldn't, the point is you couldn't give an exact numerical value, but you could talk about it being high probability, low probability, or somewhere in between, right? You can meaningfully, meaningfully talk about that without giving exact numerical values. And so background knowledge. Okay, so this part has been important. Included, and you don't have to read all that, included in um, the background knowledge or K for me is going to be the proposition that God exists. This isn't just going to be an assumption here. It's a premise of the argument and it's defensible with all kinds of arguments, metaphysical like arguments from divine conceptualism, cosmological, like the ones I defended, the KCA, uh, teleological, like the fine tuning, epistemological, like from moral knowledge and so on and so forth. You also have ontological and other types of arguments. So that's a premise of the argument and it's what's, what its use will be is what, impl what it implies. So the first thing it implies is that there is some causal force in reality which can make it such that some miracle occurs. There also is some uh, omniscient being which knows the future. And the probability of there being a prophet or some uh, revelation from God or some miracles or events which make God evident, they're all higher because the probability of these on naturalism is just going to be zero. So the probability of these given theism is just going to be much, much higher than that. So, and then the above just follows from properties like personhood, lovingness, goodness, and what have you. Okay, so then the first consideration, and that would be structure. So what I'm going to argue is that the Quran exemplifies like a fantastic sort of linguistic structure, parallelism, concentricism, concentrism, sorry, and so on. And it's improbable given the way the Quran is revealed. And a note on that is that it's revealed in response to uh certain events that happened right so many of like the verses are in response to specific events they don't they weren't predetermined uh prior to its uh conception right uh, by the author at least like uh, for example on the i mean this on the false uh prophet hypothesis right so he couldn't have known that xyz is going to happen in the future for him to have planned those verses ahead he only writes them or comes up with them afterwards, after those events occur. And so while initially appearing disjoint, right, that there's no thematic um, connection between the verses in any given chapter, I think that doesn't work. So, and some two examples of this, uh, of this sort of ring structure, and this is studied by a scholar named Raymond Farron in a book, which uh, the source will be down there in a moment. You have a sort of ring structure in the second uh, chapter of the Quran where you start, and this is a, uh, concentrism because you have e at the middle there and then it all builds up towards that and then it goes back around in a circle right back to a starting with like faith and unbelief and then creation to the to the core of it which is the main message and it's like the the new test of faith I'm saying my internet is unstable um anyways and 
you get to the Kaaba and all that, and then you go round circle, being tested for the rest, deliverance of law, creation, faith, and unbelief. So it goes a full circle. So while one might think it's sort of disjoint, this just it's it's not exactly the case. It's just it doesn't follow a linear path. Instead, it follows follows a circular path. And so we wouldn't expect this kind of uh, linguistic structure for something that was revealed uh, piecemeal, for something that was revealed. Uh, sort of in response to things, it was like a living text, you know, in response to things going on, it was revealed in that sort of manner. So you wouldn't ex expect uh, structures like this to appear in it, because this show, shows sort of intentionality towards it, right? And th this is just the second example where you start with, uh, this one's parallelism, I believe, you start with like A, about uh, God's light, and then you have A dash, God's light, and then you go like the example of his light, light upon light, lamp uh, from blessed olive tree and the oil that radiates from it. So that sort of thing. And then you move towards the center where they parallel each other, they're parallel to each other. And you keep you keep doing this right as you go ahead, go forward. And so that's for uh, the sort of ring structure, parallelism, concentrism, these sort of structures that you wouldn't expect from this sort of text. Right. Especially given a false prophet hypothesis where this person is just, you know, he's just a lying, uh, lying, deceiving person, right? You wouldn't expect something like an excellent structure in there. You wouldn't expect something like ring structure or anything like that. Uh, on the contrary, you'd expect no structure at all. You wouldn't even, you probably wouldn't even expect it to be um, like a good linear structure because it, he's just coming up with it as things go along. He doesn't know what's going to happen, right? You wouldn't even expect good linear or ring structure. So not even that basic or more advanced structure. So then you can ask, what theory does this support? On my theory, the divine revelation hypothesis, this is just expected. This is a prediction of my theory. It predicts that there will be these uh, excellent structures that um, despite that sort of piecemeal revelation, it's all going to fit together thematically and uh, structurally it's going to uh, be coherent. On the false prophet hypothesis, this isn't expected though. This is, this is unexpected on that sort of hypothesis. And since it's unexpected on that and expected on mine, so by definition, it would be evidence for my hypothesis. So the first argument would be the probability of I, given E1, where E1 is excellent structure and K is our background knowledge, is going to be higher than the probability of I given K. And so I given K is just, without considering any new evidence, is just our prior probability, just our background knowledge. What do we think about I? It's going to be higher than that. So E, this means that E supports the hypothesis. And then further reading, he has, uh, Raymond Farron has a whole 160 page book where he studies the more detailed versions of these and with more, much more examples. All right, so the second one was uh, Arabjez. So it proposes a challenge to the Arabs, right? To meet the eloquence of the Quran. And the Arabs known for their skill in poetry and prose, instead of, uh, instead of attempting to meet the challenge, they tried to kill him, boycott him. And we have numerous reports about this. So instead of trying to meet it as they would with any other kind of poetry, they just set all that aside and try and stop him from spreading his message and try and kill him. And so this indicates sort of inability to for them to respond to it, because if the, and one can't even say that they didn't think it, uh, it was like highly eloquent or anything, because we have you have pretty much every scholar claiming it's eloquent. You, you might want to obviously not the. Um, the scholars who reject aren't going to say it's miraculously eloquent. Of course, that's a claim I think that goes out of 
their uh, pay above their pay grade. But um, the point is that it is considered eloquent in the classical text in Arabic that's studied by pretty much every um, Arabic in pretty much every Arabic class. So say it's not very eloquent, so they didn't feel the need to respond. It just seems completely uh, implausible, I guess. So they're not responding seems to indicate an inability to respond. And this would be due to its um, superior elo eloquence and so on, instruction and whatnot. And then you have also these major Arab poets like Hassan bin Thabit who converted upon hearing the Quran. So that also indicates something more that this, uh, that this new text was something above the, the poetry of the time. It was something that broke the norms of the standard poetry at the time. And so again, we can ask which theory, right? What does this support? On my divine revelation hypothesis, this is completely predicted. In fact, it's it, it's completely predicted because of course they're going to fail. This is a divine text versus some random poetry, right? So this is definitely going to be above what they can respond to. They're not going to have the ability. And so the data we have about the Arabs known for their superior poetry, refusing to meet the challenge, this fits in very good with my hypothesis, but does it fit in very well with the false prophet hypothesis, not so much because we'd expect that this uh, person with this upbringing, upbringing of an orphan, this unlettered person, he's just a liar, a deceiver on this theory. He, he doesn't have any sort of background in this either. So why is it that he brought this text that just completely blows everything else out of the water? That fits in perfectly with my theory and it just runs completely contrary to this uh, competing theory, the false prophet hypothesis. And so the probability, oh, and we're including uh, the structural eloquence into K. So the evidence also fits in very well with our background knowledge about God's existence and about the um, structural excellence. So I given E2 and K is higher than I given K. And that's it for our jazz. And so prophecy, um, when it comes to prophecy and miracle, I only wanted to include one or two because uh, it would just be too much to keep throwing stuff and throwing everything at the same. You get what I mean? So I'm just going to try and restrict it to one. One prominent example uh, many polemicists bring is this one that somebody's asked about the hour and what is one of its signs. And one of the, and the response he gives is that you'll see these barefoot, naked, destitute um, shepherds competing and constructing tall buildings. And in the narration in Mustad Ahmed, he says that these uh, these individuals specifically are just the Arabs, right? And so now, now we know that the UAE and uh, Gulf countries, they're competing to build these uh, unusually large structures, right? Like the Burj Khalifa and other buildings, right? They, and they keep competing to build newer and newer taller ones and these of course are the original arabs they're competing to do this so this seems like a fairly specific prophecy that did in fact come true in our times and so on which theory on the divine revelation hypothesis of course once again we expect that oddly specific prophecies like this such as aforementioned, aforementioned come true because we have this omniscient being guiding him in the background right but on the false prophet hypothesis, we'd expect the exact opposite, that if you were to give these um, oddly specific ones, they would just completely fail, right? They'd be demonstrably false. So again, I'm not gonna, really going to bother repeating myself too many times. I already have done that too much, I guess. I, E3, you get the idea. It's supporting evidence. And then point four, correct theology. This is probably going to be a bit more contentious. Oh, one minute. Contentious. Oh, okay. 
So basically there's a correct theology. It's not bound by any Trinitarian considerations, nothing like that. On false prophet, you'd expect a mishmash of the contemporary theologies, polytheism and so on. It just all coming together and forming this incoherent theology. So this is further supporting evidence. Uh, miracle, I don't think I have that much time to cover this one. Given our background knowledge, we just expect that in some, some point in history, some miracle occurred that made God evident. And so there's a very high frequency of miracle reports surrounding him. And you have reports from numerous individuals. And we also have a few prior reasons for thinking he's a prophet already. And so one example is on the during the day of Al-Hudaybiyah, the companions had no water. And so he produced water, right? In uh, large amounts for everyone to drink. So this is reported by Anas, uh, Ibn Masood, Jabir bin Abdullah, uh, Imran bin Hussein, and uh, others through eight, eight through different chains, right? And some of these people, you know, they literally fought in wars to... Uh, to protect the religion. So it's kind of, 15 seconds. so the delusion hypothesis that they all had just had this mixed delusion, very unlikely and the liar hypothesis, I don't think that's likely given their lives and histories. And then the final consideration, it's just the, um, the engagement of this text with former text. I don't really have much time to cover it. So I'll just put it on the screen. Hopefully it could be read quick enough. And so the summary, is just that E6, which uh, is the final one, and K, which we fed all of the other ones into, is highly uh, more probable than I given K. And because of that, we have good grounds to believe that the probability of I given E6 and K, which has all of our other E's, is higher than 0.5. And that's it. Time. Thank you very much. And I want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button as we have many more juicy debates coming up that you don't want to miss in the future. With that, we're going to kick it over to AP for his opening statement as well. Thanks for being with us, Apostate Prophet. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. Thank you so much. First off, uh, thanks for viewing everyone. Uh, I'm not sure if this if the screen is back to normal, right? Okay, it is. Yeah, sure. Um, first off, thanks everybody for being here. Thanks, uh, Khalid Ora from Salafi and thank you, James, for hosting us. Um, I want to start with uh, my independent opening statement. It will not be a response to uh, to, to Khalid's uh, opening statement. It will be independent. In the rebuttals, we will get to the arguments that uh, he just made. I will uh, not focus on um, how miracles or prophecies or revelations are supposed to work. On the contrary, I will go exactly by the methods that Islam operated uh, with from the very beginning. I will directly look at the Islamic sources themselves. Our topic um, is not uh, the Quran. Our topic is not uh, logic. Our topic is rather whether Muhammad was a true prophet or not. How do we find out whether Muhammad was a true prophet? We look at several different um, factors. It's very arbitrarily defined what a prophet is supposed to be. A prophet in the Islamic terms is expected to be uh, a person who communicates with the divine, so he is inspired. Uh, he delivers an important message or a law that makes him a messenger in Islamic terms, uh, and he uh, speaks, predicts the future, prophesies about the unseen that makes him a prophet. 
Uh, now, do we have actually uh, witnesses of Muhammad communicating with the divine? I would like to put it on the screen. Unfortunately, we don't have any witnesses of him uh, communicating with the divine. We don't have any such thing. Therefore, there is nothing to put on the screen. We do, however, have uh, witnesses who saw him um, during, in his state of revelation, in his state of um, communicating with the divine. And I want to go into those witness reports um, a little bit. Can you confirm, James, that you see the right screen with my text on here? Yes, now it's clear. Okay. So you see this. Uh, this is one of the first um, reports about Muhammad's uh, revelations, what exactly he would experience. Uh, as you can see here, uh, it says, sorry, my, my screen is a little bit uh, stuck here, but I'm trying to get to it. Uh, it says, this is narrated by, uh, by Aisha, by Muhammad's uh, wife, who was a child when he uh, married her. Um, so a, a companion asks Muhammad, how is the divine inspiration revealed to you? Muhammad then says, sometimes it is revealed like the ringing of a bell. This form of inspiration is the hardest of all. And then this state passes off after I have grasped what is inspired. So the witness reports of uh, Muhammad communicating with the divine supposedly consist of uh, him saying that he hears the ringing of a bell and this is very hard, very uncomfortable for him. It goes on, it says, sometimes the angel comes in the form of a man and talks to me and I grasp whatever it's his, uh, he says. The third point is uh, Aisha saying, I saw the prophet being divinely inspired on a very cold day and noticed the sweat dropping from his forehead. So these are uh, some reports of what happens to Muhammad when he is divinely inspired. Um, another report we have in which it says when Gabriel revealed the divine inspiration in uh, in Allah's messenger, so when he communicates with uh, with Muhammad, uh, he Allah's messenger moved his tongue and lips, and that state used to be very hard for him, and that movement indicated that revelation was taking place. So imagine what is happening here is not that uh, Muhammad is instantly receiving information from the divine, but rather uh, he hears the ringing of a bell, he sees a person in front of him. And that, that feels very uncomfortable. He sweats heavily. And here in this case, he uh, moves his tongue and lips in a very rapid way. I will not make any judgments on what probably happened here. But if something like this happened to a person today, we would not think that this guy is a prophet who is being inspired by the, uh, by the divine. We would rather conclude that uh, he has a disorder, a mental or neurological disorder, and we would then try to help him and uh, send him to uh, professionals who would uh, further analyze what exactly is going on. Unfortunately, in the times back then, people reported these things as prophecies, as uh, communications with the divine. Um, what we have further is that he would uh, walk around and see uh, the angel Gabriel in the sky, the same who visited him in a cave when he was when he would go and sit there for long times, which is not unusual. And uh, he would get so afraid that he would come back home and he would ask to be wrapped. Uh, so these are the reactions of him being uh, seeing the supernatural beings that uh, talk to him on behalf of Allah. In another case, we have uh, this, for example, his uh, helper, Umar, 
reports that he is being uh, divinely inspired right now and he asks a different companion says would you like to see muhammad being divinely inspired omar then lifts the corner of the cloth under which uh, muhammad uh, is currently being inspired and the guy reports i looked at him and he was emitting a sound of snorting he said i thought it was the sound of a camel so <laughs> And afterwards, after this state is over, Muhammad wakes up and says, okay, where is this guy who was just asking me questions? And that he uh, uh, gives the revelations from Allah to him. So as you can see, um, another report of what happens when Muhammad communicates with the divine is that he makes loud sounds, snorting sounds like a camel. This, I'm sorry, does not sound like a revelation to me. Although, of course, I don't know. I have never seen revelation really happen. Uh, <laughs> In another case, we see uh, the same report saying that Muhammad was very red-faced when this situation was over. In another state, we say we see that Muhammad is uh, quiet for a very long time, and this is him being divinely inspired. And it, it takes a while, and then it is over. In another state, he goes in kind of a state of trance, and. Um, when the state is over, then Allah inspired him. And when the state of inspiration was over, the bone was still in his hand. So he was eating a bone uh, with meat on it. And uh, he was being divinely inspired because he was just asked a question about whether his wives are allowed to go to the toilet or not. And then he is uh, inspired by Allah with the, with the bone in his hand. And then he comes to himself and says, okay, I, just, I was just inspired. You have been allowed to go out, for, go out of the house for your needs. Um, I don't know if I need to point this out, but uh, is this really what you would expect the divine uh, being, the almighty God, the almighty creator from, uh, from eternity, from pre-eternity to inspire his extremely important messenger who is supposed to bring a, uh, a, an extremely vital message for all mankind? I would rather expect, of course, this is just my expectation. I'm not saying this is how it's supposed to be, right? But uh, I would, for example, rather expect that um, that Muhammad is instantly inspired with uh, significant information and that he doesn't act in strange ways or experience severe discomfort during his uh, inspirations. Given this, given that he snorts, moves his tongue and his lips in wild ways, uh, makes loud noises, hears bells, feels very uncomfortable, shakes and shivers and sweats, it looks to me like he was not being divinely inspired. He was, he had a condition which back in the day was interpreted as uh, prophecies or as inspiration or as a divinity because people didn't know better. Uh, when it comes to whether there are uh, miracles that have been verified, so we have seen that, that people did not witness him communicating with the divine, they witnessed him being inspired and that looked very bad. Now when it comes to miracles, there is the one big miracle which is that uh, Muhammad apparently in his time uh, witnessed that the moon was split in two. This was a, a miracle for his prophecy, for his prophethood uh, caused by Allah. This is known in Muslim culture that the moon was split in two in Muhammad's time. Unfortunately, as you can see, this is very clearly described here in these reports. It says uh, that the moon was split in two pieces and a piece of the mountain of the moon went toward the mountain. In other reports, it says that, uh, that the mountain was then between, uh, between the, the, the parts of the moon. Would you believe that this actually happened in the seventh century? 
you would not think further about this if you are a believer. Think about the 7th century. The 7th century was not uh, 4000 BC. The 7th century was a time where uh, many civilizations were around the world that had night watches, that had uh, people watching the sky all the time, people, uh, different cultures like the Japanese that had moon gods and so on. There is no single record, not a single record from around the world that such a thing happened in the 7th century only these few uh, oral transmissions from uh, Muhammad's uh, faithful believers. There is no single record outside of this that the moon was split into anywhere. Was it a miracle that was only seen by those specific people there? I doubt that. That would be kind of strange, right? Um, on the other hand, we have... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit, okay. <laughs> we have him, we have certain miracles like that he flew on a flying horse. Unfortunately, that happened only at night when he was asleep, so there were no witnesses to it. Uh, that he communicated with jinns, nobody can verify that, just as uh, nobody can verify that he communicated with uh, the divine. Uh, we have one very interesting report, which I find very funny. Muhammad says one morning, a strong demon from the jinns came to me yesterday suddenly so as to spoil my prayer. But Allah enabled me to overpower him. And so I caught him and intended to tie him to one of the pillars of the mosque so that all of you might see him. Wow. So here we actually have something that comes very close to people experiencing or witnessing that he communicates with supernatural beings. But unfortunately, what happens next? But I remembered the invocation of my brother Solomon and grant me a kingdom such as shall not belong to any other after me. So I let him go cursed. Oh, okay. In an incoherent way, for some strange reason, he then let this demon go. So in the end, nobody witnessed the demon again, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Muhammad also explained things disappearing at night or kids disappearing at night with uh, the idea that jinns spread out in the evening and snatch things away, which is why you why you are supposed to cover your utensils and tie your water skins and close your doors and keep your children close to you at night. If this were true, we would have uh, CCTV footages or otherwise camera footages uh, nowadays that things somehow disappear in the middle of nothing, uh, for no reason, they just suddenly disappear or they just suddenly float away because they are being dragged away by jinns. Of course, we know that such things do not happen. We do not have a single footage of things randomly floating away or disappearing because this does not exist. Muhammad believed in superstitions that people believed in in 7th century Arabia. Now, when it comes to the uh, message of uh, what Muhammad was actually delivering, uh, I quickly stopped sharing my screen. Uh, Muhammad's message is that there is no God but Allah, that he is the messenger and that, he is, uh, that Allah demands su submission. This is his message on the surface. His actual message is that he is uh, speaking f for the same God of Abraham. Uh, but I just realized that I don't have very much time left, so I'm going to skip this part, actually, to be very honest, and go to, uh, to the prophecies that Muhammad uh, made so i will go back to sharing my screen again i'm very sorry about this james i didn't plan the time very very well here no problem um so when muhammad made prophecies about the future there is one thing that is very significant uh muhammad did not know when exactly the the hour the last hour would come but he made certain predictions such as this one and us reported that a person asked allah's messenger as to when the last hour would come he had in his presence a young boy of the ansar who was called muhammad too uh, 
Muhammad said, if this young boy lives, he may not grow very old till he would see the last hour coming to you. Now, there are lots of disputes about what this actually means in order to save Muhammad from embarrassment. We actually have uh, this narration, this prophecy in uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different cases. In two of these cases, the wording is suddenly uh, switched to your hour will come, which is why Muslims say he was actually just talking about their death. But that doesn't really make sense. The people are asking him, when will the hour come? The hour in reports, in fundamental Islamic reports about Muhammad, always, always refers to the day of judgment. In these reports that uh, have much more weight, he, he responds with, before this boy grows very old, the hour will be established. In two other reports, the wording is changed to your hour will be established, which then is supposed to indicate that he's just talking about their deaths. In the translations, it also says the last hour will come to you uh, in order to make it sound different. That's not really true. The, uh, the Arabic literally says the hour will not be established until this and this happens. So, unfortunately, Islamic scholars have tried a lot to correct Muhammad to save him from embarrassment. Uh, we have different reports. Uh, showing uh, the same that he will that the hour will come before he's very old uh, we have Muhammad saying that uh, no human will survive the end of 100 years which is also about the day of judgment uh, about the last hour we have him saying that the Dajjal will come before the day of judgment and we have him uh, saying in another report that a, uh, a guy in his presence is actually the Dajjal. This guy was known as Ibn Sayyad. Muhammad suspected that he is the Dajjal who is supposed to come at the end of time. He also said that the Romans will form the majority of humanity, uh, which is very funny. The Romans are long gone. He we says the hour will not come when the Romans will form over. the majority. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> Want to let you know, folks, no problemo. We are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. And also, if you enjoy debates like this and you have a friend who might enjoy debates like this, click that share button and share this debate with them as they might enjoy it as well. We're going to jump into the 10-minute rebuttals. So Reform Salafi, the floor is all yours for your 10-minute rebuttal. Thanks for being with us. All right. So um, I kind of split it into a few different points. So I think the first one was kind of like just a these weird states would happen when revelation was coming so implicitly in these reports is that the revelation would come and nobody was giving it to him right <clears throat> at least on the uh, false prophet hypothesis he was just getting it from his his own his own mind right nobody was nobody uh that knows better was feeding him this information so that's implicit in those narrations and i think that's worth noting and the second thing is i i'm not sure what the argument's supposed to be that like it comes in uh weird states therefore it's not in fact revelation if that's the argument then no gap has been bridged between these weird states and it not being revelation like for example having a, a reddened face or sweating a lot none of those indicate at all why how it would be non-revelation so I, I can't see what the argument there is the second thing i'm guessing this would be um would god inspire irrelevant stuff right just uh I, i'm just trying to remember which one he mentioned in specific it was uh, i'm guessing something about uh aisha i think but anyways would god inspire irrelevant stuff how is it irrelevant the religion is meant to encompass pretty much everything in our living everything from oh sorry 
the small aspects oh, the small aspects of our existence the larger aspects such as such as our meaning and so on and so forth it's meant to inspire all kinds of things and talk to us about those kinds of things so how is it something irrelevant of course everything inspired is going to be something relevant to us okay and so and we have the moon split thing so i think talking about priors it would seem like you'd expect lots of people to see it but then when you include numerous variables like for example what time it was in other places uh, literacy whether people would think they were experiencing a delusion each of these come together to form sort of like a net of reasons of why we'd expect there aren't any um any written texts about this also texts um surviving who would have wrote who would have written it would that text have survived so on and so forth so you have these host of reasons for why there might not be a report about it so i don't think that's interesting because if you consider the prior it does seem like um we'd expect all these kinds of reports about it but when you consider um some when you have some considerations, some observations added to it, the posterior doesn't seem that high. It doesn't seem like we'd expect all those reports. And oh, one second. The next thing, oh, okay. So the next thing was uh, the false prophecy stuff. The first one he uses is uh, the your hour one or the hour one. And it sort of sounds like poisoning the well because we have those, those other reports which say, as he mentioned, your, your hour in specific. And then the classical scholars, like, and now we, they interpret it that way as well. They take it to mean that, and that fits in with the um, with the tradition behind this because we know he doesn't know when the hour will occur. That's that's a huge part of the tradition that he doesn't actually know. So when he's asked, he shifts it to give um, something else. He always shifts it to something else instead of telling him when exactly the hour will occur because he doesn't know. In this case, he shifts it to your hour instead. So he shifts the dialectic because he doesn't know when the hour will occur. So that fits in very well with the um, with what we already know about uh, what he knows. We know that he doesn't know that when that the hour will, will occur in our tradition. So that fits in very well with that. And so that's why it sort of seems like cherry picking to pick the one narr the few narrations that support you and ignore the other ones and the ones which uh, are the basis of the interpretation by classical scholars. I don't think that's a strong argument. And then another one was, I believe, uh, about the Romans. So I'm not sure why Romans couldn't mean something like just the genus of those people and the uh, racial or ethnic grouping of the Romans. Why couldn't they be, uh, for example, the ones that make up the, the majority? And again, it, it, this also doesn't seem far-fetched because it sort of has this kind of uh, nearsightedness. It, we don't know when exactly the hour will occur. We don't know if it'll occur a thousand, two thousand years from now. So those ethnic groupings could become the majority within a large time span because we don't know when the hour will occur. It's not going to occur. We don't know if it's going to occur tomorrow, thousand years, two thousand. So again, this just seems like uh, it hasn't happened yet. So it's false. Um, was there something else? That's what I have written down. How much time do I have left? Five minutes and 15 seconds. I'm trying to uh, recall if he used anything else. Yeah, I guess I'll just stop there and I'll let him go on to his. You got it. And we'll kick it over to AP for his rebuttal as well, which is going to be as long as 10 minutes. Then we're going into the open discussion. If you happen to have questions, you can fire them into the old live chat, tagging me with at Modern Day Debate, or you can send in a super chat as we push those to the top of the list. Thanks, AP. The floor is all yours.
Thank you so much. Uh, I don't think I will take the full 10 minutes either. Maybe I, I will, I don't know. Uh, so when I, when I look at um, Reformed Salafi's initial uh, opening statement, in all honesty, uh, it was a little bit surprising to me that um, he focused very little on the actual um, topic of uh, Muhammad's uh, prophethood and uh, prophecies and whether he was a reliable prophet. He said that the Quran is uh, very nicely, uh, very well structured. I don't see how that is an argument. Uh, yes, it might have uh, occasional good structures, but that is not really, that doesn't really say anything about whether the book uh, was inspired by uh, Allah or not. It might be that uh, that he was, he had a very creative mind or that uh, that people with very creative minds helped him or that it was shaped over time or that during its compilation it was shaped. Uh, in the end, we do not actually have any proper reports that the Quran that we have today uh, is the Quran that was compiled by Muhammad's followers after he died. In Muhammad's own time, the book didn't exist physically. And we also don't know whether the book that was finally compiled is actually exactly what Muhammad spoke to his uh, to his people who made notes of him uh, when it comes to whether the quran is inimitable and uh, you know wonderful and unique and grammar and poetry and all that i spoke with two people so far um with Shadi Nasser, who is uh, an expert in these matters, he's a Harvard uh, professor, and also with uh, Morayn van Putin, who is um, a scholar in the uh, in, in the Arabic uh, language and in uh, the Quran itself. Uh, both of them are of the same opinion, although they are not polemics, they are not hostile to, to the Quran at all. On the contrary, they will say quite uh, a few good things about the Quran and its language. They will also confirm that the Quran is not... Uh, miraculously unique and superior to everything else and that the Quran's inimitability challenge is actually an incoherent challenge. It doesn't make sense. The Quran has its own style. It has its own language. However, the Quran is internally inconsistent. It has different styles throughout the book. It is internally grammatically inconsistent and it very much forms a foundation of, uh, of the Arabic language as it was used after itself. So how could you use that uh, how could you compare the quality of that when the book itself is the standard for its own quality? It does not make any sense. There are books that are better than it. There are books over time uh, that that will be better than the Quran. There are books uh, that are much older, that are much more significant and much more uh, much more well written and. Uh, they have a more a better flow than the Quran, so this inimitability is something that simply doesn't really uh, hold any weight outside of Islamic apologetics. Um, the one prophecy that he gave as, a, gave as an example is that Muhammad said that the Arabs will build tall buildings. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't know how to react to this. It's uh, okay. Yeah, they will t build tall buildings. Good, F funny. So, how is what is that exactly supposed to tell us? I don't want to sound uh, condescending or too mocking about this, but I don't understand. I mean, can you really make yourself believe that this is of great significance? People spoke of tall buildings since people existed, since language exists. Uh, saying that the Arabs will build tall buildings, is that really something that uh, overshadows all the things that Muhammad said, which seemingly are uh, ridiculous about the future. Will you really go for that? 
the Arabs will build tall buildings. I'm sorry, Mohammed also said that uh, that the that, that certain Arab tribes will dance around Dhul Halasa. Dhul Halasa was um, a uh, a building in Yemen that was identical to the Kaaba, but it had a different uh, stone. It was white, apparently, according to the reports. Mohammed uh, sent his uh, people there and ordered them to uh, destroy that building and to and they then killed everyone who was uh, around it. They came back. Mohammed said, "Good job, well done. May Allah bless you and your tribe." Uh, thereby, he destroyed a, a building that um, that that some other Arabs built, and thereby also disproved his own prophecy that before the end of time, uh, the people would be dancing around that cube, Dhul Khalasa. That is what I uh, think of when, when speaking of buildings. I'm sorry. Um, when it comes to whether the theology of uh, Muhammad was accurate or not, uh, these are claims that are unverifiable. We have to talk about theology separately. Muhammad can never present an actual argument uh, on uh, God's existence. Muslims are much more advanced. And I have to say, uh, Reformed Salafi, our friend, is much more uh, philosophically and uh, theologically advanced than Muhammad was. He actually presents complex arguments. Muhammad did not. When Muhammad was asked about questions like, uh, who created Allah? He said, the devil comes to you and asks you who created this, who created that, and who created Allah. When he comes to you, uh, seek refuge with Allah and stop thinking about such things. That's what that that was his answer. He did not have uh, a, a complex, uh, complicated philosophical arguments. Uh, when it comes to the miracles, uh, he didn't go into miracles, so I can't really say anything about that. Since I have some some time left, I would like to add to the few things that we talked about before. Um, on the, the other points that I made. Uh, when I said that Muhammad was uh, receiving uh, inspirations, supposedly, and there were very strange states of inspiration, like him uh, shivering and shaking and making noises and hearing sounds and all that, I think the point was very clear. The point was, that was the only thing that people uh, witnessed when Muhammad would, when Muhammad would allegedly receive pro, uh, inspirations. That is a very strange thing to witness. It would be one thing to witness, uh, I don't know, st streams of uh, beams coming from the sky and, uh, you know, him receiving things in his hand and then, you know, revealing them with an overwhelming power to his people. But no, what happens instead is he he lies on the floor and makes loud snorting noises. Does that really sound impressive? To me, it doesn't. It sounds like it is a mental disorder or a neurological problem. And uh, I have to say, I like, I, I'm studying uh, psychology now, which includes uh, neuroscience, and I really see a lot of patterns there, which point uh, toward one thing and one thing only. Muhammad had a problem and uh, he should have gotten help. But unfortunately, back in those times, we did not help have, have the means to understand uh, what kind of help he would need. When it comes to the moon splitting, I just want to show you one little thing here. Um, when it comes to the moon splitting, we're talking about the seventh century. The seventh century is not 5,000 BC, as I have pointed out before. Uh, I made videos about this before. Here I have taken an example from a Turkish video that I made. But uh, if the moon was uh, if the moon was uh, visible in, Mo in Muhammad's time in Arabia, which is over here, the moon would also be visible at the same time, depending on what time of the year it is. Uh, in 
somewhere in China, in India, throughout the Middle East, in Africa, in Europe, and so on. There are lots of civilizations around here. There are the Romans in this time, uh, or the Eastern Romans in this time, the, the Indians who were already engaged in a lot of uh, observations of the sky, the Chinese who were relatively advanced, the Japanese who had moon gods, and so on, who would be observing the sky in this time. Nobody, no single person. I'm telling you, it's not just uh, you know few reports, not a single person gave us a report of the moon being split or moving strangely in the seventh century. It does not exist. I do not think that this is possible. I am very sorry. I just do not believe that this is possible. Romans would have noted this. Others would have noted this. They would have said, something like this uh, happened, this has to do with our gods, or something like this happened, we have no idea what this is about. People were not reasonable in those times. They didn't, they didn't think, oh, nobody will believe me. They think I'm crazy. People will report these things as supernatural events that happen, but nobody reported it, literally nobody. Um, and when it comes to uh, this hadith, which I shared before, the last hour would come when the Romans would form a majority amongst people. I think it's pretty clear. The, the hadith is talking about the Romans. It's not talking about a, a certain uh, religious group. Uh, it's not possible that the Romans would form a majority today. The Romans simply do not exist. He could have described this in a different way if he meant uh, white people or Europeans or something like that instead. He also talked about this, these two wild tribes, Gog and Magog, coming and invading the world, and they are currently hidden behind a wall, which is very strange uh, such a thing does not exist uh, the same people would defeat everyone on earth and then they would throw their uh, arrows and swords to the sky and they would and, and blood would come down from the sky which implies that there are actual beings up in the sky that they would hurt which is an absurd seventh century understanding of how the world functions and so on there is just too much i don't have enough time to to put all of this this in here but i think we are pretty much done Thank you. You got it. Thanks very much, AP, for that rebuttal. We're going to kick it into open discussion mode. This is about 25 minutes. Also, want to let you know, folks, we are very excited for upcoming debates, including several big debates, Islam versus atheism, this summer. You don't want to miss it, so hit that subscribe button if you haven't already hit the subscribe button. And with that, we're going to jump into open conversation, 25 minutes. Thanks, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Okay, so um, with one of the first things you mentioned, which was uh, the Khalasa thing, we have one Arab historian and one Western historian, both who have written in that in contemporary times this happened. This was around, uh, the, I think this was around the time the, Sa the Saudi um, government was, was established because they sent, they sent a unit over the, to the place where this uh, idol was being worshipped to destroy it again. So we have reports of this happening in contemporary times where people were actually worshipping this exact uh, uh, idol again. So that's for that. And then <clears throat> the second thing you mentioned about uh, him not having like philosophical or deep theological responses when somebody asks, you know, who created God? I mean, the sort of response you'd expect is that you're you're pretty much an idiot because that just goes against what exactly it means to be a god. So I don't think his response was so, you know, so misinformed. It was kind of like the obvious response. Unfortunately, that wasn't really his response, right? His response was not 
look, uh, I am the prophet. I'm here to inform you. Let me tell you that this question doesn't make any sense. No, his response was, uh, the devil comes to you and he tries to confuse you. So don't think about such things. What, what do very, you think that's that very implies, from, That's very different from saying, uh, you know what? I mean, I mean, he's the prophet, right? He's supposed to give people the relief, the message. What he could have said is, guys, look, Allah is by definition this. He cannot have been created himself. What he does instead is the yeah. devil is trying to confuse you. Don't think. According to you, he does exactly this in the Quran when he talks about God being uncreated and being, and being unbegotten and does not beget. So, I mean, according to you, he's already done this. So this question is just, of course, it is just a confusion upon what's being said. And uh, that's the, But that's not really the same thing, right? The Quran just says he's uncreated and he's not, he, uh, does not beget and is not begotten. That's all it says. It doesn't explain actually uh, why that is and how that is. It doesn't go into any philosophical arguments. It just no, because that's what God of, is. That's know, a statement just, of definition. I know. It just makes. Uh, it just states certain facts without explaining. Hey, look, this is what God is. This is the definition of God. This is what God must be according to this and this and this. I think you're, you would do that. The Quran doesn't do that. No, I think you're conflating two things here. A reason to think a being that is so-and-so exists and what is that so-and-so he has given that what is that so-and-so and on a different occasion he has given why that so-and-so and you there's uh forms of the teleological argument existing in the Quran about uh looking around you to see design so there's design inferences so there is a form of the teleological argument so he does give a sort of argument i'm, I'm sorry he, saying uh look at the sky it has no crack look at the sky who holds it up is not uh that's not what I was referring to, though. But he gives, he told, he tells you to ponder upon the world and look at what, uh, and look. You'll see those design inferences, and that's exactly what the fine tuning argument does. How is that? How is that comparable to the argument that you are, that you make today when you talk? Or you in in the last debate made the fine tuning argument, right? You explained uh, in length, in complicated ways why it makes sense that there is a design and there is an order and there is a measure of things. You didn't just say these things, you actually explained them. The Quran merely says, for example, look around you. Uh, do you think all of this came by itself? Look around you. Do you think others created it? And so on. It just right. states facts. It doesn't explain anything. I, I wouldn't exactly expect that a seventh century prophet would, um, or that so seventh century people would understand uh, gravity constants, uh, Bayesian analysis, and so on and so forth. So he's giving this primitive form of the argument that is comprehensible and that can be expounded upon and was expounded upon like and I did a last divinely time. inspired eternal book that uh, is supposed to go for all of us what we have instead is simply a primitive language that only appeals to seventh century people no except that that what was said then still works today because I can expand upon that I can take that premise and I can build upon that for the argument so he has given that and it, he's given it in a way that applies to them and to us so it's understandable for everybody I mean, do you think, uh, look at the sky, there is no crack in it. Do you think that's a very good argument, for example? That's not what I was take? appealing to, though. But, okay, I mean, that's, but, it's, but it's an example, right? An it's example like, of what? Right the, the design ground. inference? That's not what I was talking about. Okay, but what is that, for example? About since what? we're talking, since we're talking about uh, arguments in the in the, in the Quran for for the divine, right? The Quran says, for example, uh, look at the sky. Uh, is there is there a crack in it, or who holds up the sky, or he holds up the sky with uh, pillars that you cannot see? Are these, uh, for example, arguments for uh, the power of God or for? Well, I think the I think that's. 
I think that's part of a larger theme in the Quran, which is the occasionalistic theological background, which is that God sustains creation in every tiny aspect of creation, moment after moment. God's power is, in a very theistic sense, instead of deistic, he is just sustaining everything moment after moment. That's occasionalism, and that's a theme present in the text everywhere you go. Unfortunately, these are not really good arguments. <laughs> the sky cannot, can by definition not have a crack. It cannot have a fault as described in the Quran. It is not held up. It cannot be held up. It, it, it doesn't need to have pillars and so on. So if you want to talk about arguments or philosophical arguments made by Muhammad or by the Quran itself, I'm sorry, there is just uh, the Quran's account of those arguments is very bad. Well, no, this just seems like a general theme of talking about how reality would fall apart, how the world and everything around you would fall apart without God sustaining it. So I don't see why that would be a problem. Of course, seems that's, like how you, you, that's how you would interpret it. That's and you would interpret much. it in a different way, which just supports your background. I mean, it's just going to be a matter of interpretation. You no, take it in a way I would actually, I would actually just read it. You would read into it. You would apply an eisegesis. I would just read it as it is. Well, I, I'm appealing to the holistic understanding of the text, the occasionalistic backdrop of the text, and it makes sense within that. I don't isolate something and then read just that. Instead, I take it holistically. And what's the, the theology behind all of this? And I say it's occasionalism. And so that makes sense within that framework. But, the um, problem with that would be that you can uh, basically reinterpret every single thing that you find in that book in accordance with your beliefs, because you say, well, this doesn't have to be evaluated uh, on its own i will just consider this within the frame of all the other the greater theme of the quran therefore these uh statements that on the surface look ridiculous are just part of that, that that wouldn't exactly be reinterpreting that would just be interpreting holistically right that would be reading it holistically instead of um isolating i guess we can agree to disagree i would say that's a that's a very um that's a that's a very biased approach to a text and is an eisegesis i don't think it's actually an interpretation of i guess we can agree to disagree to move on to the um next thing so uh have this uh written down okay so one thing you mentioned is that uh these people all they see during revelation is um these weird occurrences right but then you leave out the reports about um them witnessing miracles you leave out the report for example of zaid in which uh the prophet when when revelation was coming down upon him and his head was on his lap it, he reports it in a miraculous sense that it became extremely heavy it became like a huge burden on him and and then you, there's other reports about them seeing angels for example and you can deny those but then when you do those when, and when you uh you employ that tactic of denying these but accepting these it again seems like you're isolating instead of looking at it holistically like we have these reports of them seeing these things and uh this broader uh aspect of revelation and them seeing these miraculous things we don't just have those so we can't just restrict it to those we do not actually have uh unanimous uh greatly accounted reports that people have literally seen and interacted with supernatural beings we have only reports of uh, of, of one instance during the during uh, the battle of uh, the numbers appearing higher and so on when it comes to the, the incidents of um, I, I don't understand <laughs> the, uh, the incident of Muhammad being divinely inspired and his head being very heavy I would ask I would like to ask the crowd uh, especially those who do not believe and those who seek do you think this is an impressive thing? Uh, to me, it isn't. I mean, some oh, well, guy, I'm, some I'm guy saying... reports that this guy is getting very heavy, uh, and that's while that's happening while he's being divinely inspired. 
No, well, I'm not saying like this is um, a report that I would use as like a miraculous report, but I'm saying Zaid is reporting this as if it's like something miraculous going on in front of him. That's what he's witnessing, something miraculous. This, these companions, what they're reporting are obviously things they witness as being miraculous. They're not just reporting um, him uh, snorting or anything like that. There's there's this whole view of them seeing angels. And it's not just that one occasion. There's other occasions which Sahaba has seen them. And or claim to have seen them at least so, to uh, remain somewhat neutral there, and so you have uh, this set this set of uh, narrations where they see these um, angels, jinn, and so on and so forth, and then you have the ones you're appealing to, which are isolated and outside, and you're using just those. But when you look at them all together, it doesn't you, the narrative just seems completely different. Let me ask you a question: um, If today a person that you know began to tell you that he's communicating um, with a strange being that he's very afraid of, and a strange being keeps visiting him, he also uh, occasionally uh, needs to be covered up, goes on onto the ground, and you know, goes together like this and shivers. He hears ringings of the ringing of a bell. He has hallucinations. He sweats very heavily whenever this happens. He's irresponsive, and so on. What would you think? Would you think this person is being uh, divinely inspired or communicating with supernatural beings? Or would you rather send this person to uh, to get some medical help? Okay, so first thing, I wouldn't think he's divinely inspired because I don't think anyone is divinely inspired after the prophet. And if he had claimed um, to be a prophet, then we'd expect that he has prophecy, miracle, and so on and so forth. And that's what I argue for here. And uh, one thing you mentioned about... So, so what uh, would you do? What would I do to him? Yeah. Well, I'd investigate the case. I'd see if there is an actual underlying naturalistic explanation. If there isn't, then I wouldn't appeal to a naturalistic explanation. And that's what I'm doing here. Is there an under, underlying better naturalistic explanation? I'm claiming there isn't. Okay, would you, would you, would you send, would, would you uh, take that person to a doctor or would you tell that person to go to a doctor? If he was investigated and we found out the cause of this stuff was underlying, it was naturalistic, ultimately, like some kind of disease, then we would. So let so, me get this straight. Uh, you would not believe that this person is being divinely inspired and this, that this person actually um, is communicating with divine beings because you cannot believe that such a thing can happen because you believe in Islam and that Muhammad was the final messenger. Yeah, because I have good reasons to think there's already a last prophet, so why would I think there's a new one? Well, that means that you are that you have a, a bias that comes from your belief, which tells you uh, even if the same things happened to Muhammad, Muhammad was a prophet, uh, and you believe in him. Therefore, because of your belief in him, you cannot believe that somebody who reports the same things today could be a prophet. So there must be a different explanation to this. Well, no, I have good reason to believe one not, and I don't have good reason for the other. That's why it's, it's not just bias. It's not blind faith. It's I've given reason. That is very interesting to me. I just, I, I, I hope you will um, manage to see where, why that would be, why, would, why that would look very problematic. There is a huge bias in here. I mean, clearly, if I was here in front of the camera and if I recorded YouTube videos and if I suddenly live on screen began uh, snorting like a camel, did like did noises like this and said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the ringing of a bell. This is very uncomfortable, but I have to tell you, I just received a message through that bell. I don't think you would exactly think that that makes sense. You would be very sure that something is wrong with me. Except I know that's not the case with um, Muhammad because I have reason to believe that it, there is that there the naturalistic explanation doesn't work, and that there's instead a different hypothesis, which, oh, which is more probable. How does it not work? 
it's it's less probable than the hypothesis I've given. That's why I have good reason to reject it and accept a different one. What makes your hypothesis stronger? Well, I've, that was in my presentation. I gave a few um, reasons and then give, gave a Bayesian account of why it would be stronger. Okay, your reasons were uh, the Quran is very well structured. It has an inimitability challenge which cannot be met. Two things that uh, do not say anything about whether he was a prophet or not. Uh, three, that he said the Arabs will build tall buildings. Four, that he presented an accurate theology. And five, uh, miracles witnessed such as uh, they reported that people had no water and Muhammad gave them more water. These are the things that I have. Oral accounts of uh, things that apparently happened and some reasoning which just uh, shows that the Quran is, I guess, impressive or unique, not that it is actually divinely inspired. I don't see how that makes your hypothesis stronger. Okay, I think you misunderstood what I was saying because you have... Um these e's that feed into the k for the hypothesis right and then the first one you're saying it doesn't support um it doesn't support prophethood but how wouldn't it ring structure for example is more probable on my hypothesis we'd expect excellent structure given my uh, divine revelation hypothesis we'd expect um prophecy given my hypothesis all those things aren't expected on your hypothesis and uh in response to um the example I gave with the prophecy, you didn't, you just said, uh, you, first, you didn't represent it correctly because it, it's, there's a undertone of com competition competing to build these. And so it's even more specific than just saying they will build tall buildings. And this is highly specific right here. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, he didn't say the Arabs will build tall buildings. He said the Arabs will compete in building tall buildings. Yeah, that's a relevant difference. <laughs> I don't see how. Uh, when it comes to the well, the, the good structure of the Quran, um, I want to ask you a very brief question. I don't think this is actually the main reasoning that I would go against it. That's why I didn't present it. But I want to ask you a very quick question. Uh, can you with all certainty prove that the Quran that you have today uh, is identical to the Quran that Muhammad uh, dictated to his companions surrounding him? With all certainty, that, that's like 100%. I'm somewhat of a fallibilist, so I don't think you can prove anything with complete certainty because you're always going to have like skeptical scenarios. But I believe you could show it's highly probable because we have early manuscripts and whatnot. So I think it's highly probable that it's the okay, same. Okay, but I'm, not, but I'm not talking about early manuscripts. Early manuscripts would mean that, we, uh, that it is identical to certain manuscripts that we have. But you do believe that the Quran was only compiled into a book after Muhammad's death, right? Yeah, into a complete mushaf after his death. Yeah, but just yeah. not by very long. Yeah, but okay. So, so the question would be then again, uh, or I, I could rephrase it, I guess, to make it more, um, more precise. Can you be confident that the Quran that you have in your hand today is exactly the same Quran that Muhammad revealed uh, through his mouth to his companions surrounding him? Yeah, I mean, we have reports of scribes writing it down and uh, the reports about them collecting it, they would collect like pieces of these uh, written down uh, revelations and connect them together to make the text. So why would I think otherwise? I mean, you'd have to provide a reason to think otherwise. It's, it's Otherwise, it's just like a scenario. Just, this seems possible, so, so and so. But you'd have to give reason to think otherwise. Okay. We have early manuscripts. So what you have is that you have reports that people noted things down and that they uh, connected them and collected them. Scribes that would write it as it was okay. coming to them. Okay, okay. So I want to ask you again. Are you confident that the Quran that we have today, that you have today, is the same Quran that Muhammad was dictating to his uh, people in his own time? 
yes, I have no reason to think otherwise. I have reason to think so because we have scribes that would write it down and that's how it's compiled. So you, so you, are, you are confident in that? Yes. Yes, yes. And uh, what is the probability? What? How do you think, how high is the probability of that being the case? Well, I don't think you could give numerical values, but I just think it's high. Okay, and it's high because uh, of a few things, which are that you have reports, oral transmissions that people surrounding him were actually taking notes while he was revealing things. That seems to me to be a, um, a very weak way of verifying that the Quran that we have today is actually identical. I would say uh, the reasonable response to this would be no, you cannot be confident. You can well, the text as a whole is mass transmitted. The text as a whole is mass transmitted amongst the people. So uh, I don't know how that would be an argument. Like how would just one or two people change it? You have this mass transmitted text and then it's collected and then you have all those manuscripts. So that's, that's what's, what, that's what you, where does the skepticism come in? That's what you say today. What you actually have in terms of mass transition is you have reports uh, which come from um, much later that certain people uh, who were companions of Muhammad uh, immediately after his death or a while after his death uh, came together and decided to go around and to collect all the uh, the written notes and the verbal reports of whatever Muhammad uh, transmitted. We don't actually know the contents of, uh, of those uh, revelations, but what we have is that uh, they noted those things down and these guys went around and collected those notes and compiled it into the book named the Quran. This is the report that we have. We do not actually know uh, about the contents and whether the contents were accurately uh, the, the only sense in which you could say we don't know is because we weren't like literally there listening or something. But by that same token, like you could doubt like Aristotle's work or something because Maybe. it was written a long time ago. But, but that's silly. Historians accept it as being that. And I've given I've been given no reason to doubt it. It's just like are, are, you, just are you confident that we uh, that we have accurate uh, that we have accurate reports of everything that uh, Socrates said, for example? Of literally everything he said, I don't. I don't think so. That's not what I claimed. But like what about Aristotle's the, works, we have uh, good reason to believe that he's that he wrote them. Okay, but in Socrates' case, it's different, right? So uh, Plato. I'm sorry, we're getting we're getting into something that people who don't care about that stuff might be that familiar with. But uh, so we have we have reports of uh, things that he supposedly said, and we thereby rely on uh, what Socrates actually thought and said. So. Uh, we have reports from a second from a secondary person about the things that Socrates said. We have no doubt to, to we have no reason to doubt the things that he said because we have a secondary person who wrote down the things that he said. Yeah, much of our does knowledge that, is testimonial. Does, does that mean that we are confident that Socrates actually said all those things? Well, I don't know about the case of Socrates. That's why I gave the example of Aristotle. We have like historians that confirm this work, and we have lots of manuscripts, and we have good reason to think it's from Aristotle. Well, that's because that's because we actually have written stuff from Aristotle. But do we have? Uh, I don't terms... think we have original copies. Okay. Okay. We don't have original copies. Uh, in, in, in the case of the Quran, we don't actually have uh, the details of the text written down. We only have people saying uh, this is what he said to these and these people, uh, and we collected this from these and these people and brought it together and formed it into the Quran. We don't actually have a manuscript of the Quran itself from Muhammad's time that he wrote down or that uh, somebody uh, next to him wrote down incomplete. 
date. We only but have we literally have published. like seven. We literally have like seven century manuscripts. Like it, what you're saying seems to amount to some guy might have snuck in, did this and that and that. And but we have all these manuscripts that just compile and match together. So I'm just not sure what the, you'd have to. I mean, bring me some reason. Otherwise, it seems there is no reason being given here, but just some kind of skeptical scenario. Like this is possible, might have happened. We don't really know. I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. Something like that. That's not interesting. I mean, if it if it doesn't if it doesn't uh, do anything to your skepticism uh, to understand that we don't have any proof that we can not prove that the Quran that we have today is really the same Quran that Muhammad uh, presented to his people that he dictated to his people surrounding him. And and if, if that's simply something that you rely on because you trust the people who transmitted this uh, in his name because they were believers of his, I don't know what else to tell you. But to then say that this is uh, that the text is miraculous and that Muhammad brought such a miraculous text and how could he have? He was just some guy. I don't think that's a very strong argument because we first have to establish that he actually brought those things as they are. Well, I mean, even contemporary historians, like the uh, ones that don't accept this would tell you it goes back to its Panamic readers, like it goes back to uh, uh, Ibn Masraud's reading, it goes back to the time of the companions, it, they won't, they, even if they might not want to say it goes back to him specifically, it's like within that specific time frame. So, and so we have very good reason to think that there wasn't like additions later on, and we have all these early manuscripts. So again, I'm just not seeing where this skepticism comes in from. Well, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. We can't actually say that it, that it goes back to him, which is why, uh, the, which is why the argument doesn't work. It has a shaky foundation. You might say right. there is a high probability, but that's that doesn't really solidify the argument. That, does, that doesn't that sound like shaky. I mean, you could say anything. It's uh, we can't exactly be a hundred percent sure. I can't be a hundred percent sure that there's this Cartesian that there isn't some Cartesian demon feeding everything into me. I can't be sure that you're real. For example, none of that stuff. There might be some demon feeding that into my brain, but that, that's not interesting. It's just a skeptical possible scenario. I don't that, think that's something interesting. That, that's actually that's actually a very good topic that you just opened up. Um, I mean, I, I guess I could say that uh, the the first proof that you gave to me is uh, is very weak in my opinion, and the rest would be up to the public. To you, it's very strong. Uh, but I presented things such as that Muhammad clearly said, according to these reports, that jinns come out at night and snatch your belongings and snatch the children, which is why you should keep your utensils covered and your doors closed and your uh, children uh, hidden. That he said these things. Do you? think that that, that 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 was accurate of the real world it genuinely could have just been a common occurrence in his time it might be a uh, less common later on it could it, i mean there's tons of potential uh explanations you could give for that i don't see why it would be particularly uh improbable but, but it seems improbable because you're working from a framework that already denies their existence but i'm not working from that framework already so I'm sorry, I'm denying their existence because I don't have any reason to believe uh, in their existence. Because and I have reason the, the, to believe in them, given my reason. Okay, to okay, but, but the reasoning I gave was very clear, right? Uh, you, uh, you are telling me that jinns coming out in the evening and snatching people's belongings and children and this and that might be something that was only occurring in his time. I don't have any. No, reason I'm not to saying believe only occurring, because... but I'm saying it might have been a high frequency thing at that time, which is why he uh, warned against it for his people. Okay. I, I don't think it's. Um, particularly impossible that it still happens or anything like that but it seems like you're saying we don't have observational data so it doesn't happen but that doesn't follow 
do you not think that uh, if such a thing was actually true, if that was a, an accurate description of the real world, that jinns come out at a specific night in the evening and go around stealing people's belongings and so on, uh, that this would be something that would be uh, traceable today, that it, that it would somewhere appear on some camera, so that there would be you know, reports of stuff like this happening. Do you not think that would be the case? Okay, so first thing, as I've mentioned, you could have uh, this as a high frequency thing in his time, whereas it's not in other times. And second thing you have, it's, it's very common to claim that supernatural things occur. That's, uh, that's very common in our contemporary discourse uh, amongst just the general public that supernatural things occur, whether those are true, whether those are not, it's part of, uh, part of the common culture, I guess, to talk of these things. So I don't think it's extremely improbable that, um, some supernatural things occur, at least okay, in want, contemporary want, times. Either. I want to ask you the question again, though. Um, if such a thing happened, uh, if this was a regular thing that jinns come out at night and snatch people's things, which is why Muhammad warns them to cover up their utensils and to close their doors, would we not have some camera footage of this? Maybe. So then you could just more and shift it. You could just more and shift it. If it was a regular thing occurring in our time, then we'd expect it. So it's not a regular thing occurring in our time. And I can just more and shift it from my position and say it's not regular in our time. I think that's a very big misrepresentation. It's something that does not at all happen in our time because we don't have any singular. Okay, see, it's, now, it's, now it's, you've it's made absurd. a claim. Wait, one, one second. Now you've made a claim that just goes way above your pay grade. Could you prove that it never occurs? <laughs> you... No, I, I'm just appealing to some uh, abductive reasoning here, I guess, and I'm going for the best explanation, considering that in the uh, if this was a um, a regular occurrence, or if this was an occurrence at all, we would expect uh, reasonably that we have footage of this, or that things actually disappear without any explanation at all, but we don't have a single instance of such things. No, all the, abductive, camera footage. all the abductive evidence would get you is uh, to our time and what happens in our contemporary times. It wouldn't get you to much else, especially with the observational data you have, uh, the restricted observational data you in particular have. Particular have. So I don't think that would get you um, to many fascinating conclusions, but Anyways, I would reject that and I would just more and shift and say I have good reason to think okay. it did happen at one point at least. Then I have a final question about that. Do you believe that in Muhammad's time, jinns were actually going around and snatching things? I'll give you a chance yes. to respond, reform Salafi. Sorry, what was that? I was, I was going to say, I'll give you, I, you answered it quickly. I was going to say, I'd give you a chance to respond and then we got to move into the Q&A. Okay, yeah, I do. You do. I guess we can or move it. I have like closings, um, technically. Sorry. 12 more minutes, if that's okay. 12 oh, more minutes. Yeah. For what? Yeah, is that fine? We have a Q and A. Yeah, yeah, for the Q and A. I mean, or fifteen, I guess, if that's fine. Well, I'm not sure what you're asking. What can you start from uh, the beginning of your question? I mean, like, I have like fifteen more minutes, and then you have to go. Yeah. Oh. Okay. We finished the discussion, right? So we can move into the Q and A. Then we can just jump into the Q and A right away. I guess. We'll jump I thought the, the discussion right was over, though. Otherwise, is it over or not? It is. That's how much. Oh time yeah, yeah. That's for. what. I, that's what I'm trying to say. So we can like move into the Q and A. You got it. So a super abbreviated Q&A. We're going to move through these fast, folks. And then if you guys can do me a favor, help me out just by trying to, as best as you can, keep your responses as pithy as possible. Stop scamming man says, Surah Yunus 10:88 through 89, Moses prays for Pharaoh and his followers' hearts to harden against belief, and God obliges. Why'd a perfect God and prophet do this? Sorry, could you, um, re could you repeat that? I didn't exactly hear it. So they're saying from, according to the Surah... 1088 through 89, Moses prays for Pharaoh and his followers' hearts to harden against belief, namely that 
he Moses prays that Pharaoh and Pharaoh's followers will will have hardened hearts. And then it says, "A God obliges. Why did a perfect God and prophet do this? Do what exactly? Is he saying like God prayed of, for something? There's, uh, why, that, that's a well, question. Saying, I guess why would he harden their hearts? Both that's why right. would God harden the hearts and why would Moses like ask for that? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't no understand problem. that at first. Yeah, I think God can harden people's hearts when they um, choose to do things that lead up to or make it such that they've already chosen a specific path. So he just puts them on that path further. I don't think that goes against perfection in any way. At least it's not clear to me that it does. It's kind of... You got it. And this one coming in from Stop Scamming Man says, why is it that on the one hand, an angel attacked Muhammad for not being able to read, and on the other, Muhammad never bothered to learn? How is that exactly a question or an argument? I mean, why did he not bother to learn? Maybe he didn't have the proper resources. Maybe he didn't need to. I mean, why would he need to? I don't see how that's an argument or like a very interesting question no problem and ozzy and talk says i'm no bayesian professional but if i compare all proven supernatural claims versus proven natural claims i'm justified in believing all supernatural claims are false i am not skeptical about supernatural it seems like what he's saying is if he brought um every particular like example of something occurring and gave it a uh, supernatural natural then the natural would win i generally agree with that the natural explanations generally win but then i think uh within our background knowledge because we have stuff about uh god and whatnot we have reason to think there's already supernatural and so some supernatural explanations succeed so you got it and thanks for your question this one coming in from oflamio says assuming muhammad and ibn abdullah was the last prophet for yahweh is it possible in an islamic world view for me to be a prophet for Eris, and that's spelled E-R-I-S. No, no. I, I mean, even Erdogan agrees these questions are just uh, kind of strange. No. You got it. Uh, to, to be honest, I have to, I have to say, um, Islam doesn't even recognize Yahweh. Uh, the, the, the Islamic God's name is not Yahweh, which is very strange. But I mean, anyway. it doesn't recognize Eris. I, at the very least, you could anyone could acknowledge that. So I don't see how this. It, it should, it should be Yahweh, though. So. Yeah. Whatever. whatever this is what this is what from ultra says g fire block i don't know what that means does anybody this one no. coming in from azri schizophrenia says reform salafi how could muhammad possibly be a prophet when he doesn't remember and recite the words of god to the people well, he's a human. I think he can forget things just like other people. That's just normal. The Quran emphasizes that he's just a man, you know. He's he's given this revelation, but at the end of the day, he's just a man like uh, pretty much everybody else, but he's given prophethood, and that's the, the relevant distinction between him and others, so I don't see why that negates um, some fallibility in him in terms of forgetting things. That doesn't seem out of the question. That's the thing. Why would I trust a, um, a flawed being uh, telling me that I should do this and this and this? And just because we can trust, trust that trust God him. would make sure that, uh, that at least the revelation is in place and that it's correct. Of course, but I have to trust him first in order to trust that Allah will take care of that issue. I would rather trust uh, an infallible uh, being that well, tells me these things directly. No, well, any reason to believe in the religion would be a reason to believe that God is guiding him. And so if you believe in that, then you believe that he's a prophet. And the trust comes from those reasons. To okay, but in order to trust that, I have to trust him first. So that's, that just doesn't make sense. I have to start with trusting him in order to trust that religion and then trust that him. trust but that trust is partially based on already that those reasons for believing god exists and those reasons for thinking he's chosen by god so it doesn't start with him it starts elsewhere According to you that's what you think but go ahead 
This one coming in from Sam Aras, 008, says, Also, the Muhammad Hadith that him and End of Time come together and joined his two fingers. He said, I and the Day of Judgment are like this. He also said, Jesus will come very soon. He's about to come, and so on. What do you think? Okay, well, here's the thing. When the Quran talks about time, um, ex uh, the experience of time with God, it talks about it as being a short time. It's like a long time. And so I'm not sure why this would indicate anything, uh, any fascinating conclusion. I think that there could still be a large time span in between him. Because what we know at the very least is that he wasn't an apocalyptic prophet, or at least that'll be my claim. Because he's very explicit about the fact that he doesn't know when it'll occur. I just that there's these signs and then like they're building up towards it. I think this was, it was pretty clear that his point was that he is an apocalyptic prophet and he said that the signs begin with his death and then a few few other things happen such as the conquest of Jerusalem and so on and then the end comes. That We have a hadith on that. I'll give you your, the last word here, okay. uh, Reform Salafi, just because the question was originally for you, then we'll go to the next one. Uh, sorry, what was that? I'll give you the oh, last word. Oh, I can word. respond. Okay, so, um, sorry, could you repeat what you said? I thought he had moved on. Just quickly, could you... Uh, what I said? Yeah. You want no me to? <laughs> what was it? Yeah, what was that short-term memory. I understand. Um, or I can go to the next question if you want. One second. Okay. Yeah. If I remember, I'll come back to that. I, yeah, I said he was a he was an apocalyptic prophet. Oh, okay. He said some things very clearly. Like yeah. He, okay. So he's the first sign. At the I remember end. what you said. Now, so what I was going to say is that him saying that he doesn't know when it's going to occur points towards him not being apocalyptic so that's just my view you got it and thanks very much for your question this one coming in from samaris 008 as well says quote the hour has drawn near and the moon was split unquote 54 1 they say note split of the moon was supposed to be sign that the end is near and here are more and they list a number of, about 10 more verses and they say and more i think that was for you reform salafi mm -hmm. what's the question though I think that they're trying to challenge whether or not the moon was in fact split or whether or not it was a sign of the end being near, given that it was a, quite a while ago that it, according yeah, to... Yeah, we, we, we have a report from um, the Hadiths after Muhammad saying uh, that the smoke, the defeat of the Romans, the splitting of the moon are a few things of, of the signs of the Day of Judgment that already happened. So people were expecting it to come soon. And then there was, but there was more signs that he predicted that hadn't happened at the time. So that's, that suggests that there's still time that's going to pass for more things to occur. Yeah, but it, it looks like the message is that it's going to happen soon because these are the signs and people expected it back then that it's about to happen and because the signs are appearing. So well, if we, well, I would say we still have signs today, like the one I, one I gave, which is something we had a, a bit of a back and forth over. So Building. I still think that there's signs going, going yes. on. This one from Oflamio says, Apostate Prophet, back in those times, Muhammad ibn Abdullah was the help. Prophets then serve the same purpose as psychotherapists today. I think they're agreeing with you to some extent. Oh. Is it a question? I'm not sure no, what. I, I was surprised because it was the first thing addressing me. To, to yeah, I, that's, yeah. Uh, Sometimes there are objections without it being in the form of a question and i thought that it was an objection to you but then yeah i, I, I can't I, I think i mean I, I think the point is very much um 
people people didn't understand psychology at all. They thought that people think with their hearts and uh, feel with their hearts and all that. They had no understanding of psychology and uh, you know neuroscience and all that. They didn't understand uh, mental problems and neuro neurological problems. So what they thought back then is that prophets are there to be the healers in the community, not psychologists. So you got it. This one coming in. From Frodo says R.S. Reform Salafi, many cultures such as Greeks and Egyptians already built tall buildings for centuries to show off. Is it miraculous if Muhammad says Arabs will, one, will do the same thing too? Yeah, I think it's significant because we have like this uh, competition going on between them and these are abnormally tall. Like we're, we're trying to just reach newer and newer heights each time. And, and it's like an ongoing competition between them spending billions and billions to do these things. So I think it's significant. You got it. And thanks for your question. This one coming in from Al Uza Akbar says splitting the moon would be an extinction level event. Why did the illiterate Bedouin initiate an extinction level event? As I mentioned, I'm an occasionalist, so I think everything is sustained moment after moment. And so I don't think it's something extent uh, that would cause an extinction. It's just a that's separate from everything else going on. He's sustaining everything else and doing that at the same time. I don't think it, it would cause an extinction if God didn't want it to. This one from Sam Aris, 008 again, says, what about the verses that got eaten by the goat, which are in the authentic, authentic Hadith? Well, I'm pretty sure those were abrogated verses, but um, yeah, I don't think anything was lost given that. I mean, it's it's kind of curious because you're talking about these narrations by people who believed that it was preserved completely and these are the ones reporting it so obviously they didn't think that this was something about versus being completely lost this one from xxwlzxx says there are sahi hadiths that say that there are verses and chapters missing from the quran not to mention the infamous donkey eating quran hadith there is also the issue of halfs being a known liar and halfs they spell h-a-f-s Okay, so first thing about Hafs being a liar, I think there was only like one person who said that and pretty much almost everyone else said he was reliable in Quran. Uh, but what, what others did say was that uh, we wouldn't uh, take his hadith. And so he had that. And the other thing he said, I would just say that's a case of abrogation. You got it. This one from David says, would reform Salafi be open to debating Orthodox Christian Cobain in parentheses Seraphim Hamilton on this question? On this exact question, yeah, on um, his uh, orthodox beliefs, probably not because I'm not familiar with them. You got it, and thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from CJ Canton says, Abraham never existed and the god of his people was a pagan Canaanite god, El, who had a wife, Asherah. How can Muhammad be a prophet if he endorses this fake pagan story, they say, for a reformed Salafi? Well, I mean, I'm going to reject that narrative and say you. You muted yourself. Sorry. Uh, did Did you hear the first thing I said? I was going to say I would reject that narrative. Say he was a monotheist, and uh, what's the evidence for that? I guess. You got it. And yeah, Cabane. Like I remember now who Cabane was that they asked you about. He He reminds me. You guys remind me of each other, even though you don't have the same views. This one, coming in from Rijad Hadzik, says to a. Apostate prophet Ch says, Ch why do you think... No, 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 no. Re read it as it is, please. They James. say to Apus, why do you think it's likely that Arabs in barren desert at the time of the prophet would ever think, would ever think they could build the Burj Khalifa? 
Well, first of all, I would disagree that they think that, that they thought they could uh, build the Burj Khalifa. Um, I think uh, since you used APUS, I think this is an authorization to for me also to do the same. I think um, when when Mopus said that the Arabs would compete in building um, tall buildings, it's a very vague statement. He doesn't actually specify what tall buildings are. Everyone can say tall buildings. What what exactly does that mean? He I don't say, see what the purpose behind he, saying he that was, though, as I've, he doesn't say, I've maintained respect here. So no, I'm, OK, I'm talking about Mohammed here. So yeah, um, obviously, I know, I know. But, you know, you have to you have to respond in kind, right? Uh, you could have responded to him in kind. Of course I am. Uh, so when Mohammed says that they will be build tall buildings, then he simply says they will build tall buildings. He doesn't say they, the buildings will be as big as uh, these and these mountains. They will be so and so tall. He doesn't give any descriptions. He just says they will compete in building tall buildings. This doesn't say anything. Tall buildings is entirely subjective. So um, if you want to take that as, an, as a good argument or as a miracle, that's up to you. But I think it's extremely weak. Wait, what the guy's trying to say is that in the context of the life they lived, building um, extremely tall buildings uh, would be something strange. I think that's what he meant, at least. Whether it's a good argument or not, that's just how I interpreted what or he said. Or you could put things on top of each other and build taller buildings. That doesn't mean that he's talking about skyscrapers. A brick on top of a brick isn't a building, though. It is very much. <laughs> you, you can, if, if you make a building that you have higher than it is, then it's a tall building. That doesn't mean it's a sky, skyscraper. I mean, so if you were to stack a, like twenty bricks, would that be a building? No, what I'm talking about is you can uh, you can extend a building and make it taller by definition. If you uh, simply add to the building and you make a building a little bit taller than the regular buildings, or you, if you make it like twice as tall as the regular building in your time, that doesn't mean anything. That's, that's not comparable to the Burj Khalifa or to skyscrapers. It's just a strange argument to make. Do you go to this one? Coming in from, do you have quite, uh, time yet, Reform Salafi? I don't want you to be late for your next Yeah, well, one more is fine. This one from KG says, Salafi, do you believe under any circumstance that apost... Let me know if this is a new word or if they just spelled it wrong. Apisa... I think they mean apostates. Should be killed. Uh, they say jizya... And then they say restrictions on other creeds. Will you work toward that, whether through mob or state tyranny? That's what matters now. Wait, what's the question? I think they're saying, do you support the punishment by death of apostates? And then they say, as well as restrictions on other creeds or religions. And Yes to both questions. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing at your position. I'm just, I'm just sure I understood it. <laughs> oh, that's you fine. said it so cash. You said it so, uh, like, directly. Uh, you, I think they said, so... I mean, this is completely normal to people. So the, to okay, so that you'd support it. And the, they said, will you work towards that, whether through mob or state tyranny? So if, if there is going to be that type of punishment, do you think that it should be done through... Uh, the state or through people like as the public if they want to through definitely not mob okay. through the state and an established legal system gotcha and then if we okay folks we can't take any more new questions let's see we might have let's see actually hey rajad hadzik says to apostate prophet i'm sincerely i sincerely didn't mean to use that nickname that you don't you like sorry about that so oh apologize. well i didn't expect that at all um 
thank you. I appreciate uh, that clarification and that response. I don't mind. It's just it's just uh, receiving uh, such hostilities from people. It doesn't hurt me. It just I just feel like uh, people shouldn't think that they themselves are privileged in using such language, and the other side cannot respond. But if that was not, if you feel sorry about that, I appreciate that. You got it. And with that, I want to say thank you very much for your time, folks. Thanks for your questions, for the Q&A. Most of all, thanks to the speakers. We really do appreciate them, especially their patience with our little like, delayed start at the beginning with that tech error on my, my, uh, on my end. So thank you, guys. Reform Salafi and Apostate Prophet, it's been a true pleasure to have you guys with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. My pleasure. I'll be right back, folks, with updates on more upcoming debates that you don't want to miss. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and I'll be back in just a moment, so stick around. Oh, hey, and folks, really excited to have you here. Let me just squeeze this little screen down. I do want to say thank you guys for being with us. It has been a fun one today, no doubt about it, a juicy debate. We hope that you're all doing well, whether you be Muslim, atheist, Christian, you name it. We are glad you are here. We hope you feel welcome, and we're excited about the future. You guys, we have big things coming up. We're in the works in terms of big plans for future debates that you don't want to miss. And I've got to say, yeah, a couple of other things regarding those. Some of them are going to be in person this summer. We are in talks. This is not confirmed. So it's not confirmed, but we are in talks with friend of the channel, Daniel Hakikachu. I really do enjoy Daniel, and we have a, a good relationship. I, I really do. If you're a, a, a fan of Daniel's, we hope you feel welcome. Daniel has helped modern day debate a lot because he's a strong debater and we want strong debaters. Ideally, we can get the strongest debaters we can find. And Daniel is a strong debater. And so it's been a pleasure to have him on. And he's also, I think, a scholar, like a gentleman. So I want to let you know if you're a follower of Daniel Hakikaju, we are thrilled to have you here. As well as that, we are in the works of setting up some big ones with Daniel, some of which would be in person this summer. You guys, these are going to be huge. You don't want to miss them. So we're excited about that. And if you happen to love debates and talk to people about debates and topics like this, whether it be in Discord or on Facebook or on Twitter or in real life, you've got a friend, maybe you meet with coffee, you know, over coffee and you talk about these things, you name it. I highly encourage you, click that share button below and share this debate because that is something that they may enjoy as well in terms of if you're like, hey, you know, I think they'd enjoy hearing both sides on these issues as well. Well, that share button is there and it's probably the least talked about button down below because everybody says hit like and that's a great idea too. But I've got to say, 
that's really, it's true, it helps the channel, but I've gotta say, sharing the debate can also be something that you can bounce that debate off of a friend and say, hey, you wanna talk about this? And you know, see if we were convinced by the arguments or you know, kind of do an analysis of the arguments. That can be fun as well. I think that enjoying something by yourself, it's fun, it's true. And it's technically you're not by yourself because you're in the live chat and people are talking about it in the live chat. At the same time, getting to talk to somebody about it after the debate, let's say, whether it be on Discord or somewhere else, I think that really adds to the enjoyment. It kind of like helps complete the enjoyment. And maybe you talk about like, wow, I loved this argument or even I hated that argument. It kind of, you could say that in the same way that if you love this debate, which presumably you enjoyed it because you're still here, the same way that you, let's say, have a romantic lover and you, you're just like, oh, I'm in love and I just can't stop talking about it, to express it to others and to talk to people about it is kind of the, the completion of that satisfaction. It's kind of, like the, kind of like the period at the end of the sentence to like the, kind of like the carrying that satisfaction and enjoyment out to its maxim or, or to its completion is by talking about something that you really enjoyed. And so one way you can do that is by sharing this debate. So I want to say though, thank you guys for your support. We are excited about a lot of cool things. Talking about direction of the channel, I want to talk to you about several things that we're thinking about right now. One is that we are currently talking about things such as how are we going to take the channel in terms of the direction, such as what we host. And the topics will say pretty similar. We're definitely going to have more science topics because we haven't had as many of those for a while. But one thing that we also want to start doing more of is dialogues and panels. And so we are kind of changing the, the kind of big picture of modern day debate to especially say, hey, we don't just do debates. We also do dialogues, like kind of easygoing discussions and panels. We're going to be talking about that a lot more and you're going to be seeing that on our banners and things for the channel. So that's one change that we're working on. And Seferin is right. We're close to 70,000 subscribers. Thank you guys for all of your support. It has been huge. We really do appreciate that more than you know. And I've got to tell you, we just hit 60,000 at the turn of the new year. And so the fact that we're about to hit 70,000 so fast, we're not too far away because we're close to 69,000. What are we at right now? We're currently at 68,698. So we are two subscribers away from breaking a new 100 level, namely to move to 68,700. And so thank you guys for your support as it's been just super encouraging. Like this uh, is, honestly, I appreciate all of your guys' support. It has meant more than you know as we are determined and enthusiastically, passionately excited to carry out this vision of providing a neutral platform for everybody to make their case on a level playing field at Modern Day Debate. And we want to be YouTube's premier debate channel. We want people to say, oh, hey, you know, if two people are feuding on Twitter, we, I'm always encouraged that I see people say, hey, you should set, you know, Modern Day Debate is a great place that you guys could finish your debate at. Because, you know, you started the debate on Twitter, you might want to go on to Modern Day Debate and do it in, you could say, roughly speaking in person. So that's one idea. But I want to say hello to you, though, in the old chat. Thanks for being so supportive. Abdul, Moiz, Bin, Muhammad Y, thanks for your support, says, wishing you and the team at Modern Day Debate the best. Thanks so much. That really does mean a lot. I really do appreciate that. And Dan, the man, glad to have you here. Millahan Philosopher's Corner says, keep up the good work, James. Thanks for that support. And the Algerian INFP, 
glad you are with us. Thanks for dropping by. Be truthful. Thanks for being with us, and thanks for being a member of the channel. That's a way to support the channel. We really do appreciate your guys' support in all the different ways that you give it. And one way is, yeah, you can become a channel member. That's a button down below, too. And good to see you, Kimba94. We are glad that you are with us. Dale Lee, glad you are here. Ferentu, glad to see you again. Lindsay Marie, thanks for being with us. I see you there in the old live chat. And the Twitch chat, forgive me, Twitch chat. I am so behind. I have not checked the Twitch chat this whole time. I had a little glitch at the start, and so I just appreciate the, uh, the speakers were so patient with us. And let me check over on Twitch and see. Is uh, I, Forgive me for being so behind and saying hello to you there in the old Twitch chat. If there's Is anybody watching on Twitch? Let me pull this up. I've got to, like, my connection is a little bit slow. Let's see here. It's connecting the chat. There's four people watching in the old Twitch chat. So thanks for being with us, those of you watching in Twitch. Uh, five now. Thanks for those of you watching at DLive. We are on a number of platforms, including podcast. If you didn't know, folks, our debates are uploaded to the podcast usually within 24 hours of the debate being live. So I want to encourage you, hey, check those out. And then I've got to tell you, if you are like, James, I don't want this debate to stop. This was just too fun. Please, I, I like this is just, I love these streams. I've got to tell you, you might enjoy this one as well. I want to share this with you. This debate just happened the other day. It was between Matt Dillahunty and Abdullah Al-Andalusi. Now, I'm going to share that in the old chat in case you want to keep watching. This is a great debate to keep watching. I just put that link for this debate in the chat. If you haven't seen it, I'm telling you, you guys, like, it is a great debate. It was a, a real crowd pleaser, and I linked that. I, I basically uh, threw that link in the chat, and I also pinned that comment with that link in the top of the chat. So that way, if you want to watch that debate, if you haven't already, if you've been living in a cave on Mars with your fingers in your ears and you have not yet seen that debate, what are you waiting for? You have to check that out. That was a monster debate. And Yatar Gami, thanks for coming by, as well as Veronica Sandoval. Thanks for coming by. We're glad you are here. And yes, thanks you guys. Thanks for your uh, XXWLZXX. Thanks for your support. Says notice me, Sensei. Thanks for being with us, friends. We're glad you are here. And Smith, glad to have you here as well. Rick T, thanks for dropping in. And Liz, we hope you are doing well. We're glad you're here, Liz. My dear friends, and yes, I think it was Veronica Sandoval said, what's the guy's name, Daniel Hakikachu? It is, that is correct. The spelling is with a Q. Uh, I think you got it right, but it's just basically if you replace the Ks that you had in the name there with Qs, I think that's basically the right spelling. And he's, he's got the channel, the, Muslim, the uh, Muslim Skeptic YouTube channel. And so he's had some fantastic debates, one of which was with Destiny recently. That was a monstrous debate. We really enjoyed that. And bang, bang, I see you there in the old live chat. Thanks for being with us. Sadie Marie Jones, glad to see you again. And Kitty 497 thanks for being with us, as well as Zhang Fukushang. Glad you are with us. But yeah, you guys, thank you for your support. If you haven't already, smash, crush, destroy, rule it with an iron fist. Hit that like button as that does boost the video in the algorithm. We do appreciate your support, and that's one way of supporting the channel. It's a free way. It's like, hey, it's like, you know, 
that's one way is like piece of cake doing a good deed for the day hitting that like button it really does like it, it actually does matter to me because I, I think you're maybe like ah it doesn't make a difference but it, it does it actually it does brighten my day so we do appreciate that support i'm seeing the likes go up fast right now so thanks for your likes that have just come in about 11 new likes in the last couple of minutes or so and joseph paul thanks for being with us as well as myself thanks for coming by we're glad you were here I'm pumped though. Thank you guys for your support. We're excited about the future. We've got big stuff coming up and we are going to really try to get more science debates as it's been a while since we've had some science debates like creation, evolution, as well as was the moon landing faked, as well as, you guessed it, flat earth debates. We're going to have one those once in a while. And so you guys, we're excited as we continue to have debates on science, religion, and politics. And we guys, we really do appreciate your, your support. Seriously, thank you guys, especially it's been a... I think I've, to some of you guys I've talked about, it's been a hard few weeks. I've just got a family. The reason that my I'm at the public library right now for these streams is I'm in Oshkosh, Wisconsin with family just because we've got kind of a family emergency that I've been home for. And so thank you guys for your support. You guys have just been super supportive, and I appreciate that more than you know as it's been a hard time for me personally. It's going to be a challenge, but believe me, we're going to get through it. My dear friends, I appreciate your guys' love and support, and I hope I can be there for you guys in your hard times as well. And I'm serious about that. That's why I've always said in the bottom of the description, it says, here's my email, moderndaydebate at gmail.com. If you ever want to vent or talk about just having a hard time in life, feel free. I'm, I'm seriously, whether you want prayer or a listening ear, I do want to support you and be there for you as a friend. And so uh, no matter whether you be Christian, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, uh, Buddhist, uh, you name it. We, we really do. I want to support you. And I think that's one of the more valuable lessons I've learned from this channel is that it's a beautiful thing when we can be friends, when we are different views, whether it be Muslim, atheist, you name it, Christian, agnostic, across those boundaries. And the reason is we do have these transcendent values that we believe here at Modern Day Debate, which is we want to make the world better, a better place, which is why we enjoy doing those charity streams that we do. And thanks for your support of those as we've given to a lot of great causes, such as research for diabetes, treatment uh, for cancer, treatment, uh, starving children around the world. Like, thank you guys for your support of that. We care about making the world a better place, no matter what walk of life we're from. That's something that transcends our groups that we all, whether we be Christian, atheist, Muslim, you name it, we all care about those things, as well as that we all want fairness. No matter what culture we're from, no matter what religion or lack of religion or whatever position politically left, politically right, black, white, gay, straight, uh, Trump supporter, Biden backer, whatever it is, we all want to have a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on a level playing field. And that is something we're united in. And that's why I think modern day debate has been growing is because you guys have been so supportive of that vision and you guys have been helping push it along. And we appreciate that so much as we're excited about big things in the future that we're going to do. And XXWLZXX says, hey, James, you should host debates about extrasensory perception. There are virtually no debates about this topic on the internet, and it's about science. I agree. That is a fun topic. I'd enjoy it. I'd be willing to host it. I don't know who like who has interest in those debates in terms of as debaters, but I am open to it, and so I appreciate that suggestion. And it is an interesting and juicy topic. And so, seek the truth. Find it. Thanks for being here. I see you there in the old live chat. And want to say... We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Hi, Commander. I see you there in the live chat. Thanks for being with us. Jacob Daniel, thanks for being with us. Steve Jenkins, glad you are here with us as well. And you guys, thanks 
for your support. We're excited about the future. I love you guys. And join us as we are just getting started and our story is just beginning here at Modern Day Debate. Thank you guys. And I look forward to seeing you at the next debate. In fact, we've got one this Friday morning and then we've got this one coming up this Saturday. Whether or not trans women should be able to participate in women's sports. That's going to be showing on screen in just a moment. You don't want to miss that. That's with Alex Stein, who's recently had a couple of viral videos on Twitter and YouTube. He's going to be taking on Brenton Langle. You don't want to miss it, so we look forward to seeing you for these upcoming debates. Love you guys. Thanks for all of your guys' support. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.